Well, thank you everyone for, <coughs> for having me here today. Um, and thank you, Martin. Uh, so today I'll be speaking on um, interrogating the Christian-Muslim conundrum in Boko Haram's terrorist campaign. Um, well, I'll give a, a, a brief background as to the relevance of this um, topic. Um, since 2009, um, Nigeria um, turned violent and two years after then, um, what we began to see was um, a sort of um, systemic attack um, on on Christians and, and churches. But then down the line we've seen a shift. There's been some sort of shift and more Muslims and more monks have been attacked. Uh, there have been some articles written you know, by some. I've written some articles as well where I've claimed that um, Boko Haram's attack is to cause a religious war or a civil war. But the new data, the new trend, now make that assumption or presumption at that time look maybe a bit obsolete or something that won't that we have to revise. So, but however, why we can see more attacks on mocks and Muslims? There are also sustained attacks on Christians and churches, and this has. This has even escalated in, in, in the in last few months. But these attacks, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, uh, have been carried out by uh, another group, uh, which is another um, deadly group in Nigeria called um, the Fulani Hezmen. Uh, so it is therefore crucial to interrogate the Christian Muslim question and to see, to ask yourself the questions like, is there a chance that Boko Haram's attack on Christians and churches, are, are these planned? Is this part of Boko Haram's ideology? Or are these attacks uh, a deflection from Boko Haram's original objectives? So if Boko Haram's have, uh, what, what are these original objectives of Boko Haram? Then um, again, another interesting question to ask would be, why is Boko Haram attacking mocks and Muslims? So then the last question would be, is Boko Haram's attacks or is the anti-Christian narrative justifiable? So these are some of the um, questions that I would be looking to, to answer in this, in this paper. But then um, it's useful to talk about some background information. So. This is the map of current map of Nigeria. So Nigeria is um, broadly divided into two parts. So we have the, um, the north and the south. But over the years, there's been a lot of changes. So we have uh, Nigeria is divided into six geopolitical zones, uh, uh, roughly comprising of uh, six states each, each, making up 36 states in Nigeria. So we see the, the purple on the, the far right one is the northeast where that is Bukram's 
hotspots. So you have the Yobe, you have Bono, Bauchigo Bay, um, Adamawa Yobe, um, Bono, and um, Adamawa State. And there were state of emergency between May 1st, 2013, to around November 2014. So, but then again, um, as we can see, Boko Haram has also spread its attack to the blue, where you see the blue, the blue color is the not mostly the northwest states, and the yellow states are where you have the middle belt states, the central states, and these central states have always been known for religious violence. So Boko Haram, we've also seen Boko Haram's attack around this region. So this map presents some of the states like you see where you see like this so if you see this represents where Bukram has carried out oh sorry some of the places where Bukram has some of them Bukram's medium is suicide attacks and um, gun attacks so Bukram has carried out suicide attacks in um, mostly in his hot hotspot zone of the northeast then you, you can also see some attacks carried out in the not west, even as far not as um, the Sokoto states. Then you see, um, surprised also in the middle bed states. See places like um, um, Joss, like Plato. You see some suicide bombing have taken place there, Taraba, and all these kind of places. Um, yes, done. So, if we look at them, um, before we go to answering these questions, it is important to look at some historical information about religious violence in Nigeria. Nigeria is no stranger to, to religious violence. And I'll just touch briefly on this. Like, if you look at even from, like I said before, Nigeria is, from a broad perspective, divided into two parts, the North and the South. So, the North and the South obviously had had a different colonial experience. Why the South had more uh, Western and you know Christian uh, experience and penetration. They did not were largely maintain this um, distinct cultural identity and had the Muslim um, had the Muslim um, uh, civilization. So, but coming up to independence. And, and we had um, some minority groups in in Nigeria, north, north and south, that expressed um, their fear about being dominated by the majority, the major ethnic groups in Nigeria. So and that led to different conferences. One of the conferences were held here, and then what happened in the first six years of independence was you see a bit of coalition between between the southwest which is the yorubas which are the um, major ethnic group in the southwest then you see the Igbos in the southeast then you see um, the supposedly Hausa Fulani in the north but then there was um, the northern elites quickly uh, were then surprised to find out that the North 
was not as unified and homogeneous in terms culturally and religiously um, as it would like to to present so we had we had a minority that were Christians and you have different languages speaking in the, that were spoken in the north as well so that was some reality then again another important thing to note was the Muslim elite the northern Muslim establishment in the north are largely Sufis so from there we had and they are they come from the set called Quadria so from there you had um, the Tijania rose in opposition to, to the Quadria and from there moving on to the 70s you have another group that rose up called the Yanizalas so this we this has some kind of importance or relevance to to Boko Haram as we move forward but then again, another important thing to note is the JNI, so that's the Jamatu Nasrid Islam. So that is like an overarching body that's association that looks after Muslim affairs in Nigeria that was established in 1962. Then the, the Christian Association of Nigeria was established in 1976 as a counterweight to, to JNI. But the first serious um, Christian-Muslim um, tension that Nigeria experienced was um, in 1978. And that was very significant because it was at the juncture where Nigeria was going to have its first democratic um, election, its first um, election. That so during this period, you had... Um, you had the some of the northern elites um, in trying to whip up religious sentiments so they came up with um, the question of um, Sharia question of having Sharia um, as a criminal um, law then the, the, the debate was uh, one that was quite heated but eventually it didn't lead to any serious serious um, religious um, conflict but then it was at this period that Sharia was you know relegated to the customary um, to the customary um, level but, but then this within a few years we then experienced an uprising in the northern part of Nigeria called um, the Maitasin riot that lasted for another four to five years so then during this period was when Nigeria experienced the um, economic recession and you had, um, you had the structural adjustment programs and then the new president came up with, you know, with the OIC member putting Nigeria in the, in the organization of Islamic countries. So that generated another religious conflict. So why can the Christian Association saw this as an attempt to uh, Islamize Nigeria? Um, the the Muslims um, surprisingly the Muslims in, in, in the in the southwest who are largely not very extreme also um, saw this as also supported um, Nigeria's membership in the IC but for different reasons because you know they, they did this for the economic um, benefit that they were that this was supposed the, by the membership was supposed to, 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 to bring. Then uh, moving forward, another critical moment was um, 
during Nigeria's fourth republic, which has lasted up until now. So that is in 2000 when Nigeria returned to civilian democracy after um, 16 years of um, successive military regime. So if you see this always, um, the religious tensions always rise up at key points in, in Nigerians' transformation from it moving from maybe a particular system of government to another. So during this period, it was um, the president, the, the, the presidential election was won from someone from the southwest, which was um, from the Yoruba side of the country. But then he came up with a policy, and the policy seemed to be anti not And so in in a way to protect the northern interest, the northern elite, starting from the starting from a state called Zamfara, introduced um, criminal Sharia law, and from there that spread to eleven other um, um, states in the north. So then again, the Christians, by the Christian Association of Nigeria, saw this as a threat to Nigerian secular constitution, and you know. That led also to other religious conflict. Um, there are other global um, um, affairs that have also that have also led to um, conflict and tension between Christians and Muslims in the north, such as you know the such as uh, the portrayal of um, Muhammad in by the in Paris, the, the the cartoon. So all of this stuff. You know, creates. So we see that there's this been this consistent, you know, constant sort of religious tension in Nigeria. But let's move forward and and talk about Boko Haram. So Boko Haram actually came up from the 2000 um, Sharia law because the father of Boko Haram uh, played a very key role in that 2000 um, Sharia. Shara period. He was um, the commissioner for for Bonu State for implementing Shara law. But then again, it became it became you know um, quickly. What what happened was at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it, the hypocrisy and the deception of the um, was exposed. Whereas people like um, Muhammad Yusuf, the, the fan of Boko Haram, actually believed that this was an opportunity for them to establish the, the Sharia law and everything. The, the elites had a different agenda, which was to protect his interests and to negotiate you know, with the, the, the northern interests. So it is from this, it is from this um, situation that Boko Haram Arose. So, Bokram has been defined as a Western education is sin, but um, that is um, an aberration that even Bokram himself has rejected. Because um, if, as, if you see in our book, that there was um, an extensive debate between Bokram and Islamic scholars in, in the north, where the Bokram leadership has refuted this, um, this tag. And has shown that why it does not, why it does not oppose Western education in, in its entirety. There are certain things where it conflicts with, you know, the the Quran and stuff. That is where that is just 
specific um, incidents, the specific um, stuff that it challenges. But since then, Bokram then started off as more as a movement, a social movement. But then, due to the poor handling of the Nigerian security forces, it turned into an insurgent group in 2009. And since then, it has been terrorizing Nigeria and the neighboring countries. Um, Boko Haram is a Salafi jihadist group. Um, its motive, its declared intention is to uproot Nigerian secular states and constitution and replace it with um, Sharia law. Um, then also it was also publicly declared to avenge uh, for years of perceived injustice on Muslims in the north and to carry out revenge for the killings of his founder and his members. So it has, it, first of all, um, Boko Haram didn't start off being violent. Um, they started off as, you know, through Dawa, through preaching, you know, we had um, extensive um, cassettes, preaching messages, and it did attract a very big followership, even among the elites and among, you know, even non-Muslims non at, at, at the point in time, because it was more like a social movement and it had like a social scheme that was going on. But then, then it then moved on to having debates. So Muhammad Yusuf went to universities, engaged in debates with Islamic scholars of different bands in the, in the, in the, in the region. But then from 2009, uh, it, became, it became a full insurgent, insurgency. And then in 2001, we had um, experienced the first suicide bombing. And then since then, it's, it's escal just escalated and hasn't stopped since then. So let's, let's look at some, let's go more into the discussion of today. So this has some data that I've, uh, that I've called from um, different websites, uh, or mainly the Religion of Peace website. So there's a Religion of Peace that um, looks at a um, number of, gives a data, a number of attacks on um, uh, Christians and churches. So we see from 2001 to 2010, we can see that there, are, there were some, you know, interreligious Christian-Muslim conflict, but this largely happened in the Middle-Bet states, in places like Plato, in places like Kaduna, where you have a, a sizable number of, um, of Christians and Muslims. So Boko Haram emerged around this time as well, in 2002. And though in 2004, it had a bit of a scuffle with um, Nigerian security forces. So, but it wasn't until 2009 that, you know, it became very, very public. So this followed the extrajudicial killing of uh, Mohammed Yusuf, its founder. So from then onwards, as we can see from the, from the graph, from 2011, we see a spike in interreligious clashes between Christians and Muslims and the, there was more increasing attacks on Christians and churches. So in figure one, you see in 2011, um, the attacks on Christians escalated. So we had about 70 attacks on um, churches and Christian targets in 2011. 
by 2012, we had about 74 attacks. Uh, but th there was a sudden dip in 2013, and this this could be as a result of um, the state of emergency. So between 2011 and 2012, Bukharam has spread from its northeast base to across, you know, the central states. But in 2013, um, during the emergency state, it was forced back to the northeast state. In 2014, that was when it carried out the abduction of um, the um, Chibok girls. So we, we saw another increasing attack on Christians and, and churches. So, but since 2015, um, especially since the new administration, so what we've seen is we've seen a rather something like a stalemate between Bukharam and the Nigerian security forces. Um, for instance, um, but then in 2015, as we can see, we've seen less attacks on Christians and churches. And this, the number of attacks, although still significant, but it's, it's nowhere near the numbers we had between 2011 and 2014. The majority of these attacks that were carried out between 2015 to now was carried out by um, a Fulani husband um, and this occurred, this has been occurring mostly in the Middle West states. Middle West states like uh, Nasarawa, uh, Middle West states like Mbenwe, and um, Kaduna, and others, um, and Plato. So interestingly, uh, ethno-religious violence in, in the pre-Bukharam era, so that occurred era between, the era between 2001 and 2009, uh, was occurred largely in the Middle West states and involved clashes between uh, Fulani pastoral headsmen, which were mainly Muslims and um, farmers. Although these clashes quickly take on a religious uh, coloration, uh, they should be seen mainly as socio-economic crisis involving fights over land, um, scarce resources and issues like, like water. Uh, because. Um, the lake charge that, that supplies water to that region has been drying up in, in, the, in the last um, couple of years. And you've seen issues such as desertification. And this has been affecting, you know, the activities of uh, the farmers as well. And you've seen this headsmen moving southwards to, to across all states in Nigeria. Well, in the last three years, so the Fulani headsmen attack have virtually spread to across Nigeria's geopolitical zone. So we've had attacks in Lagos, attacks in, um, in, in the east, attacks in, um, in the Middle Belt. And, and we've seen some state governors bringing out anti-grazing laws to check this, the spread of this attack. Um, but besides this, the locals treat the Fulani Hezmen with suspicion. And you know, they, they seem to not draw a distinction between the Fulani Hezmen and Boko Haram. And, but we have not, if, if the Fulani Hezman has a political agenda, uh, this, this remains unclear. Um, unlike the Hezman with a homogeneous entity, so the Hezman are mainly Fulanis. Boko Haram members present more diverse and loose ethnic affiliations. So its, it's leadership is mainly 
is mainly country. So as we can see from this data, um, Boko Haram's attack on um, on churches and Christian targets. So for for instance, you see in 2012, out of the 74 attack, Boko Haram carried more than half of it. But towards 2015-14, you see less attacks on Christians. So, but since since 2015, you've seen a gradual, steady increase in the in the attacks on, on mocks by Boko Haram. So then, we, we, we then have to ask, is, is Boko Haram um, anti-Christian? That would be the, the question to, to then ask. Um, certainly, Boko Haram's attacks on churches and Christians are not accidental. Uh, is anti-Christian narrative is supported by the group's pronouncements uh, and actions. In terms of pronouncements, um, the founder Muhammad Yusuf, who was killed in 2009 extrajudicially by the by the Nigerian Security Force, uh, preached sermons uh, that publicly denounced um, the perceived as a perceived injustice um, suffered by Muslims in the hands of um, Christians in places as Jaws. So what, what we see is um, the Boko Haram leadership trying to situate his campaign within broader interreligious conflicts in, in, in the region where Muslim victims of these conflicts are denied justice by the established authorities. So, but then again, um, the Abubakar Shekhar, who took over from Yusuf, continued the same trend and um, continued the verbal attack on Christians. So, for instance, in, in, as can be seen in our book, um, Shekhar said, we want to demolish all churches. So, this can be found in page 217. So, like Yusuf, Shekhar perceives um, that Muslims have been unjustly treated in, um, by the Nigerian secular government and Christians. So, he, he cites the interreligious conflict in places like um, um, Middle Best, states like Kaduna, like Jaws, and places like Lantang and Yewa um, massacre, where you know we had repressor attacks, where about roughly a thousand Muslims were killed. Um, so Bokram tried to you know tap into these existing religious conflicts. So then again, in in recent years, two years ago, we see another splinter group. Um, which is supported by ISIS. This Pintar group is um, um, headed by the son of the, of the founder of Boko Haram, um, Al-Banawi. So Al-Banawi as well has declared war against Christians and, and churches. So clearly, Boko Haram's leadership perceives the Nigerian state with its secular nature and its constitutional government as a Western construction and also ultimately a Christian establishment. So Christians and church are naturally seen as infidels and as unbelievers and enemies of Boko Haram's brand of Islam. So the Vaba denunciation is also backed by the attacks on churches and Christians. So if we look against this background, we, we would then say undeniably Boko Haram is anti-Christian. But if, but however, that, that the anti-Christian disposition is, um, is mostly superficial and 
you can't differentiate it from the broader interreligious violence in, in the region. So you have to understand that within the social, economic, political and cultural relationships in Nigeria's um, diverse society. So between 2011 and 14, uh, we can see the spike that we see in, in, in attacks in churches. Uh, Bukram is responsible for these for these attacks, uh, but surprisingly, Bukram has not had any major influence in in the deterioration of Christian-Muslim relationship in the north. So, by joining the fray of religious violence, uh, Bukram may have sought to capitalize on um, on the age-long ethno-religious um, tension and violence in the north. Central states such as Plato and, and Kaduna. Um, so the, the perhaps Bokram seeks to gain from the vacuum, leadership and security vacuum that such uh, tension will create. Uh, but this failed to materialize and it failed for two reasons. Uh, one, the the resilience of the I say battle seasoned northern populace, Christians and Muslims alike, who have seen several fracturing um, religious conflict between them that has led to a huge loss of lives and, um, and properties. Then again, another major reason why that failed is because of the rupture in, in, in Bukram leadership regarding the motive, Bukram's original motive. So, um, in terms of um, the people's resistance or resilience against Bukram's um, um, attacks and Bukharam's objective. Uh, one, one symbol of that is um, the civilian joint tax force. So this is a coalition of northern youths that have come together to fight. So that, is, that represents the collective will of the people to fight Bukharam. So um, the leadership of the two dominant religions in Nigeria, Christians and um, Muslims, have also cooperated in terms of interfaith dialogues uh, to smooth relationship between Christian and Muslim. But if you look more on the second factor, uh, that is um, the rupture or the rift in, in Bukram's leadership, uh, we see that this is, this is due to a conflict between a local and global agenda. So, and this reflects in the, in the target of attack. So for instance, um, if you see in 2012, uh, a, a major group split from Boko Haram is called Ansaru. So Ansaru in 2012 uh, tried to disassociate itself from Boko Haram by saying, we in, in our group disassociate from the targeting of the masses of Muslims. So then in 2016, um, following another major rift that led to... Um, uh, another group led by Al-Banawi, uh, that's the group that is supported by ISIS. So we see uh, a direct opposition to Shekhalet Boko Haram. And what we've seen is um, this group, this splinter group, trying to distance themselves from attacks on Muslims. But then the anti-Christian narrative in Boko Haram remains significant. Um, despite, you know, the attacks on Muslims and mocks, and um, 
despite um, the reduction in attacks on Christians. But this, again, does not lead us to conclude that um, Boko Haram's, um, it's is uh, anti-Christian. So, the complexity of explaining the attacks on Christians and churches uh, is also questioned by the ferocious attack on monks and Muslims. So then, we would have to say, answer the question, why is Bukharam attacking monks and Muslims? So I've uh, identified two major reasons why, why Bukharam is attacking monks and Muslims. So the first is um, for the perceived hypocrisy of northern Muslims elite, uh, including the political and religious uh, establishment. So, for instance, if you in a book, um, Shekau said, um, he said, uh, I'll read the quote, he said, although their mouths are filled with hatred for the unbelievers, their actions are filled with love for them. They are the people who arrest the Muslim and hand them over to the unbelievers, and in their presence, the Muslim will be shot. So, what, what we see in the last three years, since the new administration uh, came in, is frequent attacks on monks and Muslims. So, the current president is, uh, is from the north, is a, is a Fulani, but this has not uh, placated Boko Haram. So, it was hoped, um, after the president won, that this would placate Boko Haram, we see a reduction in, in Boko Haram's attack. But surprisingly, that analysis has proved wrong. Um, so what we've seen instead is increasing and more ferocious attacks on monks and Muslims. And we've seen a reduction in, on attacks on Christians by Boko Haram. Although attacks on Christians and churches are still significant, but uh, these are not carried out by Boko Haram. So... One, the Muslim elite is considered as a hypocrite and, you know, a sympathizer of a democratic constitution. And the Muslim masses, on the other hand, are seen as betrayers. So according to, um, uh, seen from the quotes, so what we can derive from the quotes is, um, first and foremost, Boko Haram is a protest against um, traditional Muslim authority. And establishment in Nigeria. And Bokram is not unique in this sense. Bokram um, follows a trend of historical opposition against dominant Islamic structures in, in northern Nigeria. So we've had, um, starting from the jihad of Ottoman Danfodio, Ottoman Danfodio belonged to the um, ethnic minority, the Fulani. But at the end of the jihad, the successful jihad, the Fulani became the hegemon. So then again, we've seen different. Good, the Tijaniya sleep splitting from the Kodria. Even Boko Haram itself uh, is a splinter group from the Yanezalas. So we've seen the North itself, it's not homogeneous in terms of there are several Muslim sites that are vying for, that are competing with each other. So evidently, we, we see an internal crisis within the Muslim leadership in the North, with several Muslim groups fighting for dominance. So Shekau's statement above. Um, it's quite revealing. It reveals that there's a shared goal among these competing groups, and the shared goal is to establish Sharia. But the only difference is the method that they've chosen to, to achieve this. So for the, for the traditional Muslim authority, they seek to achieve Sharia. Uh, they, they believe that it can coexist with the Nigerian constitution. 
whereas for dissecting groups like Boko Haram, uh, it, it has to be full Sharia has to be implemented and the secular constitution has no place in, in, in that. So Boko Haram as such presents itself as the authentic Islamic ideal and the authentic Islamic um, uh, group that, that heads strictly to the Quran and the Sunnah. So for Boko Haram to be able to attack the Muslim, what it does is to declare these other competing Muslims as declares takfat, declares them as takfat, as, as you know, declares them as apostates and unbelievers. So, for instance, Shekau Assad in, in in one of her statements said, "The Izala people are unbelievers. Izala are also Salafi jihadists." So, Shekau said, "Izala are unbelievers. Assad the Tijaniya, the Quadriya." The Naqshbandiya, these are different sets in, in the Muslim, the Shadhiliya, the Mutazilites, and the Shiites. And it's not surprising that Bukram has attacked, Bukram does not discriminate in his attacks, he attacked different sets, the Shiites, uh, the Sufis, and all of the sets. So by declaring fellow Muslims and Islamic sets as unbelievers um, and apostates, um, the Shekhalet Bukram legitimizes. It's attacks on monks and Muslims. So, if we move on to the second factor, the, the, the masses, why is Bukram attacking uh, the Muslim masses? Because when Bukram attacked, uh, let's say for Karizas, the suicide bombing in the marketplace, these are predominantly uh, Muslims. So, these are Muslims. Why is Bukram affected and why are they bombing the Muslim populace? So, one. Um, Shekhar said, among the least are those Muslims who betrayed us. So the other targets are the security personnel and Christians. So Boko Haram expects the aggrieved Muslims to, uh, to rise up and join the jihad. And as Shekhar calls out to the Muslims, he say, come out and let us build strength to defend our religion and avenge the blood of our brothers who were killed by the Christians. And oppressive government. So, but clearly, Boko Haram seeks to tap into existing religious tensions and conflicts between Christians and Muslims. Um, so, understandably, uh, there was a sense of um, shared grievance and perhaps popular support among northern Muslim masses at the initial stages of um, the insurgency. Well, uh, and this is quite uh, we understand why this was so because when Boko Haram started off the attacks were more strategic they were attacking symbols of corruption and oppression such as the Nigerian security forces government officials so this resonated well with the general populace so it was they were more like a common enemy but um, uh, popular support has since diminished if if even not non non-existent uh, under the leadership of Shakao uh, which partly explains why the use of coercion forced conscription. Um, so the people's rejection of Shakao call to action is, like I said, is optimized by the civilian joint tax force. So the civilian joint tax force now acts as a counter force to Boko Haram and as a defense against the Nigerian military who carried out collective punishments on, on you know, on the North, Northeast populace during the state of emergency because uh, to punish them for maybe the initial support for Boko Haram. But 
since 2015, CJTF has been co-opted into the military's, you know, counterterrorism operation, and they've been very instrumental in the in the fight of victory against Boko Haram. So essentially, the the northern Muslim populace, in the eyes of Boko Haram, has, has sided with the oppressive Nigerian government, and um, then the punishment they have to be, they have to be punished for that betrayal. Uh, similarly, Boko Haram has carried out several strings of assassinations of Islamic clerics who have spoken out against them or those who have collaborated with the security forces. So we, we see that the attacks on Muslims um, have caused Boko Haram the popular support he once enjoyed under Yusuf and at the initial stages of the terrorist campaign. So these attacks have, you know, ruptured the religion uh, you know the Bukram leadership and led to further you know fractionalization so but then again we, we then have to ask what does Bukram really want so Bukram wants power Bukram wants to establish itself as the dominant religious and political authority so those that have broken rank with, with the Shekau led Bukram have tried to disassociate themselves from the attacks on Muslims and Marks. So we see Al Banawi, uh, the leader of the ISIS-backed Boko Haram faction, um, favors attacks on Christians and churches. Um, evidently, the war against Christians is, um, is a consistent motif in, in Boko Haram's publications. So Shekau supports this view, and this has reflected in, in the statements and also in their actions. Um, but Yet one will ask the question, why is the attacks on churches of little attractant to, to Shekhar-led um, Boko Haram, especially in the last three years? So surely we can see that Boko Haram's attacks on Christians um, are not, the, the attacks are not accidental. It, it, is, it is part of his ideology. But these attacks are planned, they are calculated. But why these why some people have argued that these attacks are calculated at um, causing civil war between Christians and Muslims and between different ethnic groups that affiliate with these religions. Uh, the idea that they are calculated to create ethno-religious war is only partly true. Um, there is some element of calculation and strategy uh, in Boko Haram's attacks on Christians and, and churches. However, his grievance against Christians, which, although ignorant and misdirected to, some, to, to a large extent, is genuine and reflects the continuous damaging impact you know, of the primordial element of um, uh, religion and ethnicity on social relationship in Nigeria. So religion, like ethnicity, remains a tool of mobilization and manipulation. So it's, it's available to the elite and to groups like insurgent groups like Boko Haram. So what we see on the line in, or on the line in Boko Haram's terrorist campaign is power. Boko Haram seeks to establish itself as the hegemon. So to achieve this, it must present itself as superior to existing structures of authority. So that is why Boko Haram has come out to condemn the, the traditional religious authority in the north. That's why it has condemned all other Muslim sects, even those that are of those of, of Salafi jihadis 
um, groups in the north as well. So by doing this, Boko Haram seeks to present itself as, you know, as the true religion. And then, but Boko Haram has failed to achieve this. You know, he failed through, through religious and intellectual debate with the leaders. So he didn't at first seek to use force. So he sought to, to use the beta, but he, he failed to achieve this, then he went the way of force. But then again, we would ask, was jihad planned? So we we'll see in, in the Bukharam read that we see evidence that Bukharam already projected to, to, you know, to be violent, to, to, to go the pathway of jihad. But I, I strongly believe that uh, the precursor to that violent path uh, was the, the, the precursor is the Nigerian violent, Nigerian government violent response, um, his heavy-handed approach to, to countering the threats that Bukharam uh, presented, and also his poor understanding of the causes and the conditions that gave rise to, to Bukharam. So Bukharam's goal of instating Sharia law is actually an attempt to alter the power structure. So this goal is now conflicting with them. Um, a more global and transnational agenda espoused by other Boko Haram factions, so such as Ansaru and you know and ISIS uh, in West Africa um, under the leadership of Abanawi. So let, let, to conclude, um, let's talk. So we see that the anti-Christian narrative in in Boko Haram's ideology and activities is, is one that is um, very complex. It's difficult to, to justify. There is um, abundant evidence that um, uh, in Bukram's statements, um, that including from his founder to to his more ruthless um, leader Shekau, and even to those that have disagreed with Shekau on Shekau's um, approach. So we see an abundant evidence of you know anti-Christian sentiments in in Bukram's um, statement and action. Uh, but the founder Yusuf and Shekau, the rationale that they've given for attacking Christian and churches is one that differs from the one, for example, given by Abanawi. So why for Yusuf and Shekau, they're attacking Christians and churches because of the perceived injustice that Christians have carried out on Muslims in, in the Middle West, they like, you know, play to, um, which is entirely different. Like I said, it's more economic. This is a more economic uh, inspired conflict. Um, so, but for Abanawi, uh, the reason for attacking Christians and churches is to prevent the Christianization of Muslim lands. So we see that um, these arguments are flawed because on one end, Muslims remain the overwhelming majority in, 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 in northern Nigeria. And um, the killings in the north are not one-sided. So you see, these are reprisal attacks. See Christian mobs, you know, killing, avenging the death of, you know, fellow Christians, Muslims avenging. So it's, it's never one-sided. Um, so both religions have carried out repressive attacks on each other. More so, the attacks on Muslim and mocks add to the complexity of the narrative. Um, so, evidently, Bokram's ultimate goal, as I've said, is to establish itself as the religious and political authority in Nigeria. So. And to attack Muslims to achieve this, uh, he has to um, delegitimize other Muslim states by declaring them as 
um, apostates. So in this sense, the attacks on Muslims and mosques uh, is no different from the attack on the church. So for, for example, Shekhar said, um, the mosque is nothing but a house. So by, by presenting this kind of um, dialogue, uh, the, the Boko Haram is able to justify his attack on, um, on, on mosques and Muslims. So, you know, concluding statement would be, uh, it is very, it is a very complicated um, situation, but um, on the line, the whole Christian Muslim stuff—it's—it's—it's it's, it's an attempt to tap into an existing religious, you know, conflict and tension that exists. And Bukharam's ultimate goal is, you know, to establish itself as um, as um, the dominant or the predominant um, religious and political um, political authority. Thank you. Thank you.